you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here, Move the Sticks. Uh, coming off Bucky, what was, uh, I don't know, was that the most entertaining football game, regular season football game you've ever seen? Uh, I mean, it was one of the most entertaining games that I've watched. Um, and, and it's kind of crazy because, like a lot of people have been tweeting out, it was kind of like a Big 12 game. And it absolutely <laughs> was. Like, you couldn't get up to go get a drink and you come back and someone has scored. Uh, I mean, you kind of, I was kind of trapped to the couch watching the game. And I think there's so many things that, look, it, it was must TV. It was a marquee matchup. These are the two teams that people have been talking about. And I think in our industry, um, in the scouting community, I think a lot of executives tuned into that game because that is what football is and that is where football is going. And so I think there are a lot of team-building lessons that can be learned from just watching that game when it comes to building what we think are a premier team in, in this current landscape. Yeah, I want to definitely go deep on that uh, on today's pod, talk about what this means for the future going forward, just the impact of this game. That wasn't just, you know, a high-scoring, entertaining game. This is a game everybody was paying attention to, as as Bucky just alluded to. Um, And I do do think it has an impact. I think what we saw in the Super Bowl last year, I think that game has an impact on on, uh, team building and thoughts uh, moving forward. And I think this game kind of reinforced that. So we're going to jump, do a little deep dive there on that ball game. We're also going to preview the three – uh, Thanksgiving Day games, uh, Bears, Lions, Redskins, Cowboys, Falcons, Saints. And then after we get through with that, we are going to uh, – we're going to roll a little something we did the other day where we were talking about the, the fatal flaws for these teams uh, that are leading the division. There are no perfect teams in the NFL. You saw that uh, on display in that entertaining game with the Chiefs and the Rams. All these teams have some issues. So we're going to go through each of the division leaders and uh, and talk about what their fatal flaw might be, but I want to start here with that game last night, Buck. Uh, biggest takeaway, I mean, you look, you've got Mahomes, who was gave you the whole the whole Pat Mahomes experience, right? You get the uh, you get the six touchdown passes, darn near 500 yards, some unbelievable highlight plays. Uh, then you also have five turnovers. So it was a uh, it was a it was a it was a unique experience, man, going on the Mahomes roller coaster in that ball game. Yeah, I think the thing that can be learned from that, look, Pat Mahomes has been great. He's been great uh, throughout this season. He's worthy of being in the MVP discussion. Um, But Pat Mahomes is the player that we thought he would be at Texas Tech, meaning he's going to be a wild player, but he's also going to have some whoa moments where you just kind of want him to play within the confines of the offense and just understand how to manage the game. And I know a lot of times when people hear game manager, it is kind of done with a negative connotation. But there was a time in that game where you didn't necessarily need Pat Mahomes to make a play. You just needed him to manage the situation. That last sequence of plays in the two-minute drill, they're only down a field goal. They don't need a touchdown to win. Um, They, you know, didn't have any timeouts, but there was plenty enough time for them to get into field goal range. And for him to, on multiple occasions, kind of just toss the ball up, kind of hero throws that were unnecessary, those are the things that you're trying to kind of get out of his game. 
understand what the situation is, throw the ball away, let's continue to kind of just work the ball down the field. There's a time and a place for the hero throws and the spectacular plays and the like. And so as he plays more and as he gets more experience, maybe he'll learn how to kind of manage the game. He's a spectacular talent, but you just want to make sure that the decision-making is always on par so they can be a championship team. Yeah, look, both these uh, both these offenses were incredible in this game, Buck. I mean, my one of the takeaways I would have from this ball game is I, I do think the Chiefs are more explosive with what they have offensively, what they present. I thought they looked like the more explosive mm-hmm. football team. I thought the Rams were the were the smarter football team in this game. When you look at how they protected the football, at least Jared Goff didn't throw any picks. Uh, kept a clean sheet there. Obviously, the sack uh, forced fumble. Uh, got to them uh, in this ball game, but decision making, throwing the football, they were a little bit smarter. Penalties, penalties were huge in this game. Thirteen for one thirty-five for the Chiefs, and I know, I know, people say, ah, that's you got some home cooking there with the Rams, but man, they showed replays. I haven't gone back and watched the all twenty-two, but it didn't seem like there were any phantom calls out there. And for the most part, they looked like they were legitimate, outside of one unnecessary roughness over the middle, which I thought was kind of a cheap call on a hit. But that's about the only one I can think of. The rest of them, they, they rightfully earned. So you had penalties, you had turnovers, and then you had some, some questionable decisions in the return game, especially at the very end there by Tyreek Hill fielding that ball and, and costing your team some precious field position when you're only chasing three points. You know, I think the best way to look at this game is to kind of let's, let's, let's break it down by both teams. So you talked about yep. the Chiefs, and let's talk about what we learned from them because you talked about them being the most explosive team. And on my paper before uh, you jumped on, I, I kind of wrote that down. I think what they have done – um, when you look at their drafting philosophy and the way they acquire players, they place a huge premium, even when John Dorsey was there, on athleticism, the measurables, um, speed, explosiveness, um, vertical jumps, all those things. And so what they have created, they've created a very, very explosive team where guys can score from anywhere on the field. Tyreek Hill is a perfect example. Super fast player, great athlete. Um, wasn't necessarily a refined player when he came into the league, but they felt like they could develop and and cultivate those skills. And you put that on top of the natural explosiveness that he had, you see a guy that can score touchdowns anywhere at any time uh, on the field. I think in Travis Kelsey, I think it's another case. Super athlete, a guy that was tremendously talented when he came out of Cincinnati. You knew that he could make some plays. Wasn't necessarily a polished product, but once again, they took the explosive athlete, taught him a level of of, of skills, gave him some technique, and he's become an explosive player. Pat Mahomes is the final example of that. Pat Mahomes, when you looked at him on tape, man, you're like, man, he's spectacular. He has all these things or whatever, but he's raw. But the natural tools were there. Big arm, mobile enough, could throw it out the stadium. Andy Reid takes him, says I can develop him, give him some tools. And because of that, because they're so explosive collectively as athletes, you're seeing them light up the board. But also because of that, you have to live through some of those tough moments because they may not necessarily be the most football-savvy players that you can find. And so if they put a premium on athleticism, speed, and explosiveness, which allows them to score a ton of points, you just wonder – when you put it all together, can they be disciplined enough or technically sound enough to win games against very, very disciplined and sound teams? Another takeaway for me, that's great stuff there, Buck. To me, you mentioned just the speed with Tyree Kill and some of the speed you have on that Chiefs team. I thought this was a display of speed all the way around, mm-hmm. both sides of the ball. When you looked at the speed, it was at a premium. When you look at the uh, the, the job that Tyree Kill did, 10 for 215, uh, Kelsey, who's extremely explosive for a tight end, goes 10 for 127. Flip it over. Brandon Cooks 
ran the four threes. He had eight for 107. Uh, so the speed was there. Obviously, Gurley, I thought when – by the way, did you see the interview with Gurley after the game? I, I did he not a little, He seemed a little bit frustrated, and, and, and I, I would understand it. They won the football game. Um, but just I don't know if I was reading into it or not. But it seemed. But like they didn't utilize. They didn't utilize him. Got a little frustrated he, there. He's your best player. This is a major stage, and he's playing as a back seat. Um, he has been the guy. The Twelve that carries. Not enough touches. Like even if you didn't get him more uh, carries, he has to be more involved. And I think when Sean McVay looks back at the tape, he'll probably say, "I probably could have used number thirty to control the game a little bit." I probably could have given him the ball, could have slowed the tempo down, could have kept Pat Mahomes in that offense on the sideline by utilizing Gurley. Look, it's a learning experience for everybody. You're talking about a second-year coach still trying to figure out his way navigating uh, this team on a championship run. I do believe for Ty Gurley they could have utilized him a little more and allowed him to kind of put his talents on display on the main stage. Well, I want to hit the, the Rams' defense here too real quick because sticking with that speed and explosiveness theme – you know, Aaron Donald makes his presence known in a big way uh, with a couple sacks and just huge plays. But really kind of the star of the day, two defensive touchdowns for Samson Ebukam. And, and uh, going back to when he was coming out of college, now he was at Eastern Washington. Mm-hmm. He was there in the same class as Cooper Cup uh, coming out. Now, this is – I went back and looked at my notes. He was 6017, so just under 6'2", 240 pounds. He verified he ran a 4-5 flat. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the fast. type of speed he had. He vertical 39. Super um, explosive. Always talk about so, the vertical jump. So my notes on him, explosive, great effort, all caps. He's a little stiff, plays with his hand down, his hand up, uh, loves a little dip-rip move. He killed Washington State. We always look at these guys when they're playing at the – I still what the uh, I still call it 1AA, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, F- FCS uh, level. When they step up in competition, how do they do? He killed Washington State, and then I just wrote at the very end, special motor. Um, so when you had that speed on a field where there was so much speed on display, really kind of the difference in the game you could say was Aaron Donald's speed and athleticism and Ebukam's speed and athleticism to create the plays they generated. You know, in, in thinking about that, um, the construction of, of the Rams, you, you are talking about explosive athletes that have Aaron Donald, super explosive. We saw it when he was coming out of pit, his ability to get in the backfield, the way he dominated the senior bowl, the way he continued to put up big numbers at the combine. He was an all-star when it came to being the athlete. Um, you talk about some of the other guys, Brandon Cooks being explosive, said the fastest How about Ger- Gerald Everett, Buck? I'm going through yeah. and looking through in that same I draft mean, like, class. He ran four same, six two. Yeah, so, so a lot of explosiveness that they have. I think um, the one thing that maybe they have – kind of augmented the explosive players that they have around them. Um, Robert Woods, and I know Cooper Cup didn't play in this game, but these guys are refined players. Now, yeah. Robert Woods was a really good 400 runner, 200, 400 runner in high school. Um, it's still plenty fast, but technicians, high IQ guys, guys that are versatile, they talk about their receivers being able to play multiple spots and doing those things. And then when you have the trigger man and Jerry Goff, I think Jerry Goff is a perfect fit in this offense that Sean McVay has created because, look, I've always felt like when he was coming out that he didn't get enough credit for his IQ, and I think some of that had to do with the bear race system that he played in. But I think what you're seeing, he has some autonomy at the line of scrimmage. He has the ability to kind of make some things happen, and they go in and out of a fast pace to allow him to find advantageous matchups. But I think this play-action pass attack with Jared Goff pulling the trigger with these explosive athletes and these technical route runners really, really works. And I think the thing that the rest of the league, I mean, Saints notwithstanding and some of the other teams, will have to do is 
how do we want to build our team? Because, one, you got to build your team to win your division, but you also have to have an eye on the teams that are lording over the conference. How can yeah. I build my team to do it? I do believe you will start seeing some changes on draft day in terms of the players that come off the board. We may see guys place a premium on explosiveness and athleticism and bank on their coaching staff to coach those guys up. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out when we get to the draft season. Yeah, I, I don't know if you saw it. Actually, I know you saw it because we, we ended up talking on the phone last night about this. But I tweeted out last night during the game that, man, this is a rough night if you're a run-stuffing defensive tackle uh, coming into the draft. And, it, look, it is what it is. When you look at a game like this with the two running backs that are in this game that you have the best running back in the NFL probably mm-hmm. in Todd Gurley. Um, you've got Kareem Hunt who's established himself as a top five running back in the NFL. And in a game of that of that type of importance, Todd Gurley carries the ball 12 times. Kareem Hunt carries it 14 times. The ball goes up in the air for Mahomes 46 times. For Jared Goff, it goes up 49 times. So if you're building your team and you're looking at defensive linemen, he can stop the run. He's, he's stout at the point of attack. Okay, that's great. What about the 50 snaps I need to rush the passer? Uh, if he's not going to be able to contribute and be a factor as a pass rusher, I, I don't know that you can take him in the first round right now, unless you've got everything else filled on your on your team. You got everything else filled, and go ahead, take it. He's a great player. He can stop the run. That's great. But with the way the game is played right now, if you're a defensive lineman that does not rush the passer, uh, you're in trouble, Buck. Your 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 stock is taking an all time hit. It is taking an all time hit, and I also think like what this game did, it kind of exposed um, the priorities of positions, particularly on the defense side of the ball. Uh, for so long, we always talked about pass rusher number one, cornerback number two. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can rank a, cor- a cornerback that high anymore because I just don't know in today's game where you can't really put your hands on receivers to disrupt the timing and the releases, I don't know if you can find someone skilled enough at corner to merit taking as a top ten pick. I think at a flip, we'll talk about the pass rushers, and now we'll have outside pass rushers and inside pass rushers. And then I think after that, we talked about the we talked about on the phone the off the line linebackers. Yeah, I think the explosive linebackers that can cover and can blitz. I believe they probably become a higher priority than your cornerback because in being able to integrate them into the pass rush, being able to do some things where they can cover the guys over the middle of the field, be it the tight ends, be it the running backs. I just believe it's going to be. Um, easier to find those guys than to find the elite premier cornerback that you're going to ask to lock up and play in space against a Brandon Cooks, a Tyreek Hill, and the like. Because we've seen some explosive athletes on the island who cannot stay with we Tyreek saw with Jackson and Brandon so, Cooks and yeah. those guys. Yeah, we talked about Adoree so Jackson being one of the best athletes. I mean, T.Y. Hilton had his way. I just don't know if we're going to find cornerbacks that can hold up like that. So I think their value – I mean, I guess you could say it increases. I just don't know if there are enough playing in college football to merit taking one in top ten. So we've done this before. We would always talk about ranking uh, positions, and we would go by positions. And, and for those that don't know, when Bucky and myself, we've been inside these draft rooms working for teams on the personnel side. So when you set up your draft board, it's just like if you were doing a fantasy football draft. You have the different columns you can click on. It's done by position. So your board is set up. You've got your positions working left to right. Uh, offense to defense, you know, quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, tackle, guard, center, and on and on and on, all the way down the board. So we've always tried to say, how do you rank the importance when you're building your roster? What's the pecking order? Uh, what are the most important positions? Not everybody obviously knows quarterback is, is number one on that list. 
But I, I was thinking about it this morning, and we've 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 talked about this in uh, some variety. I don't know that we've totally nailed it down, Buck. And mm-hmm. so I want to see what you what you think here. What I'm proposing is that there are building a championship nucleus, building a foundation, a championship foundation. I believe we talk about blue chip players. We've said ten to twelve is kind of the number uh, that we've used. I'm, I'm going to use the mm-hmm. number twelve. Yeah. I'm going to say this is the breakdown of those twelve players. Now you can fill them in whatever order you want when you're building your team because if if you it, you can't force something that's not there. If there's not a pass rusher that's there, uh, you can't force a C level player to be an A level player. I believe you need A level players. You need one quarterback, mm-hmm. two pass rushers, which can come, and you can have two inside guys, two outside guys, one of each. I don't care. Two, two guys that can get to the quarterback. Three offensive playmakers, which is something you've talked about with the, you know, with the Todd Gurley type who's, you know, let's forget the running yes. back receiver. You need playmakers. Yes. So that could be a running back, tight end, or receiver. But you need A-level, three A-level playmakers on offense. Flip it over to defense. Three A-level playmakers on defense. Could be a linebacker, uh, a safety, a corner, however you want to break that up. But you need three of them to go along with your two pass rushers. And then you need three A-level offensive linemen. I, I think you can play with a B or a C-level uh, guard or, you know, here, here or there, but you've got to be surrounded by really good players. So that's your 12. That's your 12 right there, which we, you break down offense, defense. you got quarterback one, offensive playmakers is three, and then offensive line is three. So you've got seven, on, seven guys on offense and five guys on defense. That's a foundation. That's a championship foundation. I, I mean, I completely agree. It's, it's funny. Um, coming from Carolina, we always believed that you, had, you needed to have 10 blue-chip players to be a championship roster. Um, and as we go through, I think your dozen, I think the 12, actually is, is, is a nice number, especially when you're thinking about focusing on the offensive line and having three of those guys. And when you look at the teams that are really being able to do it, um, I think, and maybe this is for another day, to look at which of the teams check off the list. Um, yeah. when I'm, when I'm well, let's just, just go with the two teams. Let's go with the two teams that played last night, right? A lot of people agree these are two of the three best teams in the NFL. So let's go through, and if you look at, let's start with the Chiefs, and let's just go through the checklist. The quarterback, right? Check. Got it. Pass rushers, two. They, they have Chris Jones, and then they really have three when you talk about. Chris Jones, D4, Justin Houston. Yep, they've got those, so they've got a bonus there with pass rushers. Offensive playmakers, the number is three. Absolutely. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt. Not to mention you get a little bonus there with St. Watts, but they got three, the three core guys. Defensive playmakers on top this, of those two pass this, rushers. That's this, the this, question. This is where they fall short because yeah. Eric Eric Berry's not playing. I would yeah. say if Eric Berry's healthy and playing at his best, he does, he would be in that category. At cornerback, they don't have one. At linebacker, there's no one in the group that I can say is a thing. I think they fall short, and I think that ultimately yeah, – Yeah, Hitchens is a good player. He's a he's a really good player. But uh, – Playmaker. There's a difference between being a good player and, a play and, and being a playmaker. Yeah, so I, I, I wouldn't put him in that thing, and I think so – that could be the missing piece for them when it comes to the championship squad. Offensive line, I think they're fine. Um, I yeah. think some would say Mitchell Schwartz would, would fit in there. Uh, depends on what you think about Eric Fisher. They're a little um, bit beat up, though. You, you know, know when, you lose, when you lose Duvernay Tardif, that's a big loss for them, who was one right. of the better guards in the league. So, I mean, I think right, just right there doing that exercise alone, um, it kind of puts the Chiefs on the bubble when it comes to the perfect Super Bowl roster. It doesn't mean that they can't win it. It just means that when you're looking at the construction of their team, there's still some work to do when we think about them being um, a team that is a legitimate or front runner uh, for it. Let's flip to the L.A. Rams, and yep. let's do have the same discussion at, at quarterback. Yes, I would think we say Jared Goff would qualify. Uh, three offensive playmakers. 
Uh, which three would you put in there? Gurley. I mean, Gurley. You've got Gurley. You've Brandon got Cooks. Woods. And Brandon Cooks. That's your three right there. So I mean, you had Bonas. They have plenty. They have others. Yeah. But those are the big three. Um, when we go to pass rusher, they have Aaron Donald. Yeah. And then, yeah, who is, who is the complimentary one? rusher? Last night it was Samson Ebukam. <laughs> yeah. But, you like, know, I haven't seen that throughout the year. Yeah, like, I mean – on paper, we would like to say Ndamukong Sue, but he hasn't That's necessarily not, been yeah. there. He hasn't been there. And then Dante Fowler, who also hasn't necessarily been there. So they have one and some possibles. Yes. Um, when it comes to the three defensive playmakers. Um, well, I mean, we, look, Marcus we, Peters has got, some, has he, got beat there. up a little bit, yeah. but he's a playmaker. All right, so, so we have him. How do we feel about anybody else? Do we say Lamarcus Joyner? I think Lamarcus Joyner is, is right is right there. I think he's one of the better safeties. He got a, he, I think he got his hands on a football last night as well. So okay, so I then, think I would put him in there. Okay, so then will we put a keep to leave in there when the keep to leave returns? That could, that, give the, the that, could be the, that could be the third one. Okay, so that that kind of checks off the list there. And then when it comes to the three offensive linemen, yeah, they're good there. They're good to go there. So what we're saying, the Rams look. Like they're built more like a championship caliber squad than the Kansas City Chiefs because they don't have necessarily the Achilles tendon that shows up when you're looking at the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, look, and this is a, uh, you know, it's 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 weird to say it because we're giving the Rams an edge in the offensive line category coming off of a game where where Jared Goff got heated up pretty good mm-hmm. by Kansas City, but I still think we look at their individual personnel. I, I think they're uh, they're better suited right now than Kansas City, largely due to the health there uh, for the Chiefs' offensive line. Without, um, but without, I mean, I think yeah. I think it's an interesting checklist, though, Buck. I, I think you know what's interesting too is we you know we could go through all these we go through all these division teams, but we're actually going to roll something we did a little bit earlier where we talked about a fatal flaw for these teams, so a little bit different twist on it. So we'll roll that uh, a little bit later on uh, in the episode. But I, I was thinking about it. Outside of those elite level teams, I was thinking of some teams. If you're looking at who is that next team, who are those teams on the come? And a couple teams come to mind when you go through this checklist. Why don't we go through a couple kind of off the radar teams? We'll look at the Indianapolis Colts mm. and kind of how they're being constructed right now and what they're doing. Uh, I think if you look at the quarterback, obviously check right. Yep. Pass rushers. I still think that's an area they need to fill. They need they need some more pass rushers. Um, offensive playmakers. The three offensive playmakers for the Colts, I think, um, you know, you've, you've, you really have one big one there in T.Y. Hilton. Um, I think outside of that, Marlon Mack's a good player. Ebron has been a, a playmaker. He's got nine touchdowns, so you have to put yeah, Ebron Yeah, so I think you put Hilton. Ebron there. I, I think the big thing for the Colts in the offseason would be to go and get a legit big-time, I mean a big-time running back, a big-time hybrid, a big-time playmaker, someone who could be a lethal offensive weapon for them. I think that would be the thing that would push them over the top. Yeah, no question. So it's interesting to look at them, what they have offensive line-wise. They're in great shape there. And uh, and defensively, Darius Leonard as a, as a big-time playmaker. Malik Hooker, when he's healthy, uh, is a playmaker. So they've got some of those some of those spots filled. One other one real quick I was just thinking about was the Cleveland Browns, um, a team that I think a lot of people are fascinated by and the job that John Dorsey has done there. Um, when you look at what they have, I think offensive playmakers – um, Nick Chubb has, has definitely proven to be one. Mm-hmm. I think outside of that, you're probably looking for a little more help. Duke Johnson, yeah, yeah, good Jarvis player, Landry. but yeah, Jarvis Landry, yeah, yeah. I would say okay, I'll go with Nick Chubb, Jarvis Landry. I still think you need one more. Yeah, need one more playmaker. Um, offensive line, quarterback. How you feel about the offensive, offensive line? line? I think they're okay there. I think I think Batonio, 
Um, and Zeitler are good players. Um, I, I think they probably need a left tackle. That's uh, that's going to be a difference uh, maker for them there. Defensive playmakers or defensive pass rushers, you got Miles Garrett. I know they're hoping Ogba would be that compliment. Um, yeah. Wait to be seen. Larry Ogunjobi actually is. Ogunjobi yeah. and Miles Garrett, that's two. So they've got their uh, their two pass rushers. Uh, defensive playmakers, Denzel Ward definitely falls in there, right? Denzel Ward falls in there. I think uh, you can make the case that Jamie Collins and maybe Christian Kirksey would, would, would qualify when they're healthy. Maybe. Yeah, um, Jamie Collins is kind of a roller coaster. but Yeah, up, you know. up and down. But um, it's interesting. Like, they've got some – there's some pieces there. They're on their way. All right, so the team that I'm going to say, like, and everyone is going to laugh, but the team that really could be close to doing that formula that is kind of on the fringes, uh, say what you want to about Jerry Jones. The Dallas yeah. Cowboys, when you go through the checklist, um, yeah, look, quarterback, eh, maybe, like depending on how he plays. But in terms of the three offensive weapons, um, I know you can say that Ezekiel Elliott can qualify. Um, we've seen in the past couple of weeks that maybe Amari Cooper will qualify. Cole yeah. Beasley in a way, but not necessarily the championship I think they level. got two. I'll give you two. They got two. Offensive line, I think we can say that they have <coughs> three offensive linemen that would fit um, – when it comes to that evaluation, like Tyron Smith is on the decline, but he still is a good player. Zach Martin, um, when healthy, yeah, get the center there. back healthy. Need the center there, so they would be good. Pass rushes, they have those in spades. <laughs> um, yeah, like Marcus Lawrence and those guys. I think they've discovered three defensive playmakers. I think Leighton Vander Esch is one. Byron Jones has been really good for them this year, and then Jalen Smith has come back and kind of played like a top level player. I don't know. I, I think the Cowboys are not maybe as, as bad as they're made out to be based on their record or whatever. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's another issue. But they appear on paper to have enough playmakers to be a team that is better than the record that they have right now. I would say they need one more, like an, an A-level pass rusher to team up with Demarcus Lawrence. they got some good players. Tyron Crawford's a good player. Um, you know, Randy Gregory, you know, he's got to deal with what he's got to deal with. It's, you're, you're kind of hoping and wishing uh, that everything's okay there. But I, I still think they could use another A-level player to complement Demarcus Lawrence as a, as a pass rusher. That, if I'm looking at priorities, I think probably finding one more playmaker offensively and, seeing that, and then maybe another rusher. And see, and that's the thing. The thing is they tried to invest in a pass rusher a couple years ago when they got Taco Charlton, and he hasn't necessarily been the guy. Before that, they thought it was going to be Randy Gregory. He had his off-the-field issues, so he hasn't been able to develop in that. They have tried to go and address and get that yeah. second A-level playmaker uh, on that, that pass second-level, second A-level pass rusher. They just need to make sure that they can kind of find a guy that can hold up and be the guy opposite DeMarcus Lawrence. Well, I want to get some feedback from the listeners here. When, uh, when you listen to this, take your favorite team. Uh, run them through the checklist and then hit us. Hit us with uh, at Bucky Brooks at Move the Sticks and let us know you know where your team stands on the checklist. Again, that's one quarterback, two pass rushers, three offensive playmakers, three defensive playmakers, and three offensive linemen. It's uh, it's like taking them through the car wash, Buck. Take your team to the car wash and yeah. see what it looks like when you come let's, out the other side. Let's give them a hashtag. Let's let's do uh, MTS checklist. How about that? How about uh, yeah, MTS that? checklist. Yeah, I like that. Checklist. There you go. There Easy. Go. So MTS checklist. We'll get social on this and see uh, uh, if they can help us out. Uh, that's fun. A fun little exercise there, no question. All right, Buck. Well, we've got a great Thanksgiving coming. Not only going to get some time with family and some good food, we have got three fantastic football games to preview. Yeah, three games. I'm excited about it. Like, it's one of the best things about the Thanksgiving holiday, obviously, spending time with your family. But, man, you get football all day. What's better than that? Let's jump in. Bears at Lions. 
Well, a short week here for both these teams, obviously. But the Bears, man, it was a, a pretty emotional win they had over the Minnesota Vikings and that kind of raucous atmosphere. Now they got to go on the road and, and take on a Lions team coming off of really kind of a shocking win they pulled off for the Panthers. But to me, this game comes right down to the trenches. The Bears' defensive line should be able to dominate this football game. That's where my eyes will be trained. Look, the, your eyes will be trained on the trenches because that's where the toughness is really displayed. But one thing that I'm encouraged about with the Detroit Lions, they've been practicing outside in the snow, so they're a little tougher team, a little more physical. <laughs> Mentally, they're Baby, ready. it's cold and outside. Look, 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 they're undefeated. I really can't stay. <laughs> i got to get Patricia to sing I that know, song. They're, they're undefeated since practicing outside. So I'm going to say – Thursday against the Chicago Bears, their toughness will be on display. That toughness has to come in the form of the running game. They have to find a way to get Kerryon Johnson the ball if he's healthy. If he's available, give them a running attack. It takes some of the pressure off Matthew Stafford. They do not want to be a one-dimensional team going against a stout Bears defense. Redskins at Cowboys. Well, I'll tell you what, Colt McCoy has gone into this building before, Buck, and he's come out victorious. He is Mr. Texas. Uh, Colt McCoy getting the start here after the unfortunate injury to Alex Smith. All eyes to me will be on him. Offensive line's beat up. The Cowboys are better defensively up front than the Redskins are offensively up front. So Colt McCoy, I'll look for him to be on the move. Let's change that launch point. Do not make him a sitting duck back there. Hey, this is a statement game for the Dallas Cowboys. If Dallas Cowboys want to be back, they want to be relevant, they want to have an opportunity to win the NFC East, this is a must win for them. Uh, they found a little bit of the recipe in the formula to get wins. It is a lot of Zeke Elliott running it, catching it, doing everything around him, and then sprinkling in a little Amari Cooper and Cole Beasley with the defense playing well. If they just follow the recipe, I think they could have a great Thanksgiving. This team appears to be better than the Washington Redskins on paper. They need to play like that. <laughs> Falcons at Saints. Boy, is this going to be another shootout? I mean, we've had the, the Patriots and the Chiefs. We've had the Saints and the Rams. We've had the Rams and the Chiefs. And now, I'll tell you what, Falcons coming off a disappointing performance offensively against the Cowboys. I think they get that offense cranked back up a little bit. I know the Saints uh, primetime Thursday night, Thanksgiving at home. That's a tall order. But I do think we'll see this Falcons offense uh, get kicked up a little bit. And I think you'll see Julio Jones continue his hot streak. Yeah, I think this is a scary game for the New Orleans Saints. It's a division game. It's an opponent that knows you very, very well. They've had success uh, beating them not only at home but also on the road. Uh, this is a tough one. I think for the Saints, it's about can you keep the focus? Can you maintain uh, the focus on making sure that each and every week you take the opponent seriously, you respect them? Uh, they've been a little chatty after the last couple of weeks. They're a little chatty a little after the Philadelphia game. They need to be careful. Lap. So we will see if they can just kind of lock in and focus on a short week, if Drew Brees can get his troops ready because offensively they have everything that you want. They're going against a battered and beleaguered uh, Atlanta Falcons team, but this team – was embarrassed. I think you're going to see the best Atlanta game that we've seen from them. We'll see if the Saints can kind of take on that. That's going to be a great uh, day of football. Cannot wait for that. All right, Buck, this is a conversation we had uh, just the other day, and I thought it's uh, it's actually a video out there. You can check out the video, nfl.com slash mtsvideo, youtube.com uh, slash nfl, but I thought the audio listeners uh, would get a kick out of the conversation because we're talking fatal flaws, looking at the teams that are leading each division, and they're not all perfect, so trying to identify uh, what could be their undoing. Here's our conversation on the fatal flaws for these division winners. As we get to the second half of the NFL schedule, the good teams are starting to separate themselves. But one thing we know for sure, there are no perfect teams. We're looking at these teams leading divisions, but they all have a fatal flaw. 
every good team has a fatal flaw. It's one of the things that you have to work around, and that's where coaching matters. You try and identify what your team is, and then you try and make sure you always put them in a position to play to their strength, minimize whatever weaknesses have shown up. All right, let's jump in here to uh, the fatal flaw for these division-leading teams. We've got four in the AFC, four in the NFC. Start us off right here. Uh, the New England Patriots, uh, look, to me it's the pass protection. Yeah, it's the pass protection. They cannot keep Tom Brady upright, and Tom Brady, look, you're talking about an older quarterback. You got to play at an MVP level a season ago, but you still don't want a 40-plus-year-old quarterback taking a lot of hits. So it's about that offensive line. Can they shore up the offensive line? Can they get them playing as one? Make sure they're playing on the string, not allow leakage in the pocket, because we've seen when Tom Brady has time, he can pick apart any defense. It is all about giving him enough time to be an efficient passer from the pocket. They're going to see some big-time pass rush uh, as well in the AFC playoffs if it, it holds true right now. There's some big-time defensive fronts. All right, what about, the, what about the Washington Redskins over in the NFC? Look, when you look at the Washington Redskins, man, the injuries have really – crushed them we can talk about the offensive line we can talk about losing Alex Smith but now I really worry about the explosive playmakers on the outside they don't have anyone that really scares you as the defense and so Adrian Peterson has been playing great but as we get down the road people are going to take away Adrian Peterson they're going to make them beat them with the passing game I don't know if Colt McCoy will have enough at his disposal to be able to pick them apart in the passing game. And no, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Josh Doxson to see some signs, some flashes there. Just need a little bit more from that group on the outside. But I, I think health is is huge there with all the injuries that they've suffered. Let's uh, let's go back to the AFC Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, look, look, they can move the ball uh, with all the players they've got. They've got a defense that's growing on me and the way they get after the passer I love. But just every now and then, Ben just decides he wants to turn the ball over. So that, to <laughs> me, is the fatal flaw that that's going to happen at the wrong time when you get in the postseason. Ben's got to do a better job, just protect the football. If they protect the football, they have all the pieces in place. Yeah, they have all the pieces in place. I think Ben Roethlisberger's turnovers are certainly an issue. I also wonder, is James Conner going to be good enough to carry the load? With that in mind, Ben has to be able to take care of the ball because it may be on his shoulders more when they get down the stretch. All right, how about the, uh, how about the Chicago Bears there in the AFC North? It comes NFC down, North, I should say. It comes down to quarterback play. Mitchell Trubisky, look, they've tried to play fast with him. They've gotten him out. They've encouraged him to use his legs. Matt Nagy's done a great job of creating what I think is a very unique and fun and innovative offense. However, it comes down to Mitchell Trubisky and his inexperience. Can he make the right plays? Can he exhibit the right kind of judgment that you need to to win these games in the stretch? It is all about the quarterback. The quarterback typically decides these games down in the playoffs. Mitchell Trubisky's inexperience is the one thing that is holding the Chicago, Chicago Bears back from being what I would say is a front runner for the Super Bowl. But doesn't feel like Trubisky, he's, he's at least capable of doing what Bortles did in the postseason last year, which was string together a couple really good games. I think Trubisky's a better player than Bortles, so yes. that would be my hope with their defense. They're kind of this year's Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, so they got to play the game the right way. He can't give the game away. If he takes care of the football, gives them a chance in the fourth quarter, I think we've seen their defense and Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson make enough plays to get them wins. All right, let's go back over the AFC in the West. The Kansas City Chiefs, to me, pass defense. I mean, I know uh, they're starting to show you a little bit more pass rush there with Chris Jones doing his thing, complimenting D. Ford. But in the back end, I still think there's some some holes in that secondary that can be exploited by some of the better quarterbacks they would see in the playoffs. Yeah, because when you look at them in the secondary, they don't have many A-level playmakers in the back end. They have Orlando Skandrick trying to play a big role in terms of being their top corner. But I don't know if that is enough. They've given up some big plays. They played better of late coming down the stretch at the end of November. But let's see if they can continue to build upon that going into December and into the playoffs. We talked about big plays. I think that's, uh, that's what you're looking at with the Rams, right? They're a fatal flaw. 
Yeah, they're giving up too many big plays. And this is a team that defensively, I think they have all the ingredients to be a championship-caliber team. Aaron Donald and Dominick Sue, they can stop the run. They can get after the quarterback. You would think Marcus Peters would be a top-level quarterback being a pro bowler two times early in his career. But without Aqib Tlaib, I just don't know if he can hold up as that number one corner. So they need Aqib Tlaib back. They need Marcus Peters to play better. If they can just stop letting the ball fly over their heads, I like the Los Angeles Rams, one of these teams that we talk about at the end. I go to the AFC South, the Houston Texans, that offensive line. Individually, I know collectively they're okay. Individually, Buck, I feel like there's some matchups that are not going to be in their favor once they get in the postseason see some of those better groups up front. Yeah, I mean, that offensive line is always going to be a challenge. You can't have Deshaun Watson getting beat up because when the quarterback gets hit, it affects the way he plays. You see the turnovers typically come after that. So the Houston Texans must shore up that offensive line. they got to provide better protection for Deshaun Watson so he can get it to the playmakers, DeAndre Hopkins and Demarius Thomas on the outside. All right, final one, the New Orleans Saints. You know, the only thing that I can find for the New Orleans Saints. Tough to just, find, right? Man, just an inconsistent pass defense. They have given up some chunk plays uh, in the past. They have it rolling right now, and I like the addition of Eli Apple. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to how that unit can play because offensively, they can put points on the board. They can force teams to have to play from behind and chase them. Then it's a matter of can their DBs slam the door and find a way to make those plays, create some turnovers. They're looking good. It's hard to knock the New Orleans Saints. Hey, look, there are no perfect teams. All these teams, they do have a flaw. The question is, can their opponents exploit it? Well, Buck, I thought that was a fun conversation there. It's always good exercise. I think on this on this episode, you hear us talking about the, the 12 core positions, the 12 roles to build a championship foundation, um, get a chance to, to talk about these Thanksgiving Day games, and then uh, to wrap it up there with some uh, some potential flaws for these teams that uh, could be an issue. Fun episode. Yeah, very fun episode. I really liked uh, digging deep into the team-building discussion, particularly coming off the heels of that Monday night football game. Can't wait to get the feedback from the listeners because I think that can, conversation will continue as we get closer and closer to the draft. Hit them up with that hashtag again. What we call M- MTS, MTS checklist? MTS checklist. Hashtag MTS checklist. Let us know your thoughts on building a championship roster and which teams you believe already checked the box when it comes to all those things that are required. All right, there you go. Hit up the uh, hit up the hashtag. Take your team through the car wash. There, MTS checklist is the hashtag. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Kent, nice job behind the glass, Bucky. Fun as always. We'll be back tomorrow with a uh, with a big time podcast, looking at some college football topics, and uh, gonna have a great guest here, Joel Clatt, one of our buddies, uh, is calling the Ohio State Michigan game. He will join us on the next episode of Move the Sticks. Appreciate you listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com/podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.